Hello and welcome to episode 35 of Late Night Linux Extra. I'm Joe. And today I've got a chat with Carl George, who is a principal software engineer at Red Hat. As you'll hear when we get into it, we don't talk about Red Hat and Fedora and CentOS and stuff very much in Late Night Linux land. So it was really good to have a chance to chat to Carl all about it. Before we get into that, the usual thank you to everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really, really do appreciate that. If you want to join those people, you can go to latenightlinux.com slash support. And remember, for $5 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed. And that includes Late Night Linux, Late Night Linux Extra, and Linux After Dark. And if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact. Right, let's get straight to it then. Thanks for joining me, Carl. How's it going, Joe? Yeah, good, good. So the reason that I wanted to talk to you was that we have a bit of a blind spot in Late Night Linux land, in that we never talk about Fedora or RHEL or CentOS, because none of us use any of those distros. We're all firmly Ubuntu and Debian users. And even on two and a half admins, Alan, he's a FreeBSD guy, and Jim, he is an Ubuntu user as well. So I thought, who better than you? Because you work for Red Hat across a few different projects specifically CentOS, Fedora, and Apple. Is that how you say that? Yes, that's a, it's an acronym. It's Extra Packages for Enterprise Linux. It is part of the Fedora project, but it's used for uh, on RHEL and CentOS and other distributions like that. Right. So you're pretty well-versed in this stuff then. Absolutely. And uh, you're in luck. You're, uh, I do enjoy talking about it. So Yeah, excellent. So I suppose let's start with Fedora. What are some of the reasons to use that? Because it's a shorter release cycle and support cycle than the Ubuntu LTS is. It's kind of halfway in between, isn't it, in terms of support length? Because I'm used to an Ubuntu world, you've got six months for the interims and then five or even 10 years for the LTSs. Yeah, it's like you said, it's in between. It's longer than the interim Ubuntu releases, but it is a good bit shorter than the Ubuntu LTSs. It's not a perfect analogy, but you some people like to think of Fedora as the equivalent of the Ubuntu interim releases and RHEL as kind of the LTS version of Fedora. Yeah. And because Fedora is the RHEL upstream to a large degree, it means that you try out a lot of stuff in that. Like Pulse Audio, for example, came to Fedora first, I believe. Yeah, that's true for most things. There's occasionally things that show up in RHEL first, uh, but that is much more the exception than the rule. The idea is that Red Hat has a mentality and an approach of doing things upstream first. And just in our own ecosystem, that means we should be getting features into Fedora first and proving them out, proving that they're worthwhile before we put them into the product. And is it fair to say that sometimes it's a little bit premature? Absolutely. <laughs> we, we are not perfect at this by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I was actually just telling someone earlier today that I remember trying uh, trying System D in the very first Fedora release that had it and just being appalled by how bad it was. And <laughs> I think it's great now. It's fantastic. But a lot of these things, we like to say that Fedora pushes pushes things forward and moves things forward. Some of these things don't get better until they get the attention that they get in Fedora. Yeah, because it's all well and good being able to install it sort of after the fact. But if you make it default, then everyone's going to use it and they're going to find the bugs and it's going to force you to improve it, right? Absolutely. We're seeing that a lot with... Uh, this one's a, a slow, slow go of it, but with Wayland, uh, you know, Fedora enabled that by default quite a while ago. I don't remember exactly how long. And that one's taking longer than most things that, uh, that Fedora pushes forward into the, into the defaults and into the mainstream. But 
slowly but surely we're seeing a lot better progress on that. And I think Wayland's in a really good state now. I think a lot of the, even the third-party video conferencing stuff supports Wayland uh, screen sharing and things like that now. Although I know Zoom, you have to go and set a special setting in a config file to enable it. I don't know if they view it as like production ready yet on their software, but it does work. And is it fair to say that Fedora is for power users? It's It's not for the faint-hearted and, you know, the inexperienced users. You kind of have to know what you're doing with it. I don't necessarily agree. I don't necessarily disagree either. I don't like to tell people that they can or can't use a distro. I think Fedora is perfectly usable. All my kids use it and they enjoy it. It also helps, you know, having dad tech support around. Yeah. And, you know, if I've thought about, let, you know, having them use other distributions. But at the end of the day, if something breaks, I know how to fix Fedora best. So I'd rather deal with any kind of problems that ha- happen to happen with Fedora versus a distro that I'm less familiar with that maybe it has less problems, maybe it doesn't. I just It's an unknown thing. Yeah, that's exactly why my mom uses the Zubuntu LTS, exactly what I'm looking at right now, because I know I can, even over the phone, I can talk her through and click the same things as she's looking at. Yeah, Fedora definitely has its uh, blind spots, I would say. The big one is uh, people with NVIDIA hardware. Me personally... I prefer a lot of other things about Fedora, so I just make the choice to not buy NVIDIA. But I know that's not not everyone has that choice. A lot of people are using, you know, hand-me-down hardware. And it's not that NVIDIA doesn't work on Fedora. It's just Intel and AMD graphics work so much better being in kernel. And so Fedora, to me, feels like where the innovation on the desktop is happening. Because if you look around at other distros, like what Canonical's doing, there's a lot of innovation there server-side and IoT. And I'm sure there's plenty of that with uh, you know Rail and Fedora. But when it comes to the desktop, you look at things like Pipewire, the LVFS stuff, that's coming from that side of the fence, isn't it? The Rail desktop team, which a lot of people think that Rail is just a server distribution, and that is... I don't have exact numbers, but I think that's probably the majority. Yeah. But we definitely have customers that use RHEL as their workstations, and it is not a small number of customers, and it is not a small amount of, um, I mean, just to get down to brass tacks, it's not a small amount of money they're paying for that. Yeah. They're large customers, so it is in our interest to keep them happy and make things better. Another thing that's recently been getting a lot of attention inside Red Hat is the automotive initiative. Um, moving things forward there, there have been a few uh, job postings that have happened that have mentioned automotive. And I know a lot of the audio technology, a lot of that is driven by the needs of what we're going to need in automotive for the different audio sources and things like that. That's w- one of the big things that was uh, in mind with the pipewire development. Right, I see. And am I right in thinking that Fedora is the direct upstream for REL, or is it more complicated than that? It is a little bit more complicated. So a little bit of a history lesson. It used to be the direct upstream. That was the way the traditional model was before a lot of the, uh, I know we're going to talk about it more in a bit, but the CentOS changes that happened. Yeah. The historical model was that RHEL was based on Fedora and then CentOS was based on RHEL. It stayed very much closer to RHEL based on is a little bit, it's still accurate, but the goal with CentOS was to be identical to RHEL before. The goal of RHEL was not to be identical to Fedora, but it was what they would do is they would start with a Fedora release and then take it behind closed doors and do private development work on it for however long, a few years, and then they would release it out into the world as the next major version of RHEL. And that made for a really good product. It worked for a long time, but we kind of had this blind spot of, you know, we're saying that we're an open source focused company, but we're building a basically proprietary operating system behind closed doors that just happens to be open source after we throw it over the wall. 
And I know that a lot of people like to criticize Google for the throw it over the wall open source mentality. Yeah. That's not really the best way to develop software. And that's kind of what we've started to change with CentOS and CentOS Stream. Now, what we do is we kind of flip the relationship between RHEL and CentOS. So instead of going Fedora, RHEL, CentOS, now it's going to be Fedora, CentOS, and then RHEL. Yeah, because what we've known as CentOS is going away, right? CentOS Linux. The support for the latest version of it ends at the end of the year, which is not very long. Yes, we announced that last year to uh, a lot of blowback. Myself and others inside the company, you know, said that this was a bad idea. We said that, you know, this was the (laughs) wrong way to go about this. I mean, any number of things were thrown about from, you know, having a five-year life cycle, keeping it for the whole life cycle, waiting until nine to make the changes with CentOS Stream. Whole number of things were discussed. Um, Ultimately, what was decided was, you know, what everyone saw announced. And while it may not have been a lot of our first choices or even second or third choices, that's, uh, that's the hand we were dealt and what we're working through now. That is just true for the eight, like the uh, major version eight, though. CentOS Linux 7 is still supported through 2024. We left that lifecycle completely alone just because, well, for a lot of technical reasons, really, more than anything with the infrastructure. Okay, this episode is sponsored by CBT Nuggets, training for IT professionals or anyone looking to build IT skills. Go to cbtnuggets.com slash late night Linux and sign up for a seven day free trial. The on-demand virtual labs mean you can build practical experience with the commands, config, scripts, and everything you need to get the most out of each course. Another standout feature is the accountability coaching service, available to all learners with a subscription, which gives you access to a real person who will help you craft a personalized learning plan and set goals, and will check in with you to keep you accountable. So start your free seven-day trial today at cbtnuggets.com slash late-night-linux, It includes unlimited access to all course materials, including virtual labs. That's cbtnuggets.com slash late night Linux. And so CentOS Stream is not the same as CentOS, what you're now calling CentOS Linux. it's, It's quite a different distribution, isn't it? I don't necessarily agree. It's very much the same. The delivery model is different. Rather than following just behind RHEL, it actually comes right before RHEL just a little bit. The easy way to think of it, it is it's like getting the features and fixes from the next rail minor version sooner is what it boils down to. So you're leading you're leading rail by, you know, four to six months, depending on which particular feature it is. But in terms of stability, what rail is known for is being rock solid and boring in a really good way. Right. Whereas Central Stream is not that boring distro. It's it's that bit more exciting. And that's what people or at least some people don't want. Well, the thing is with RHEL is that there's the stability that comes from the overall major version from things that work the same way on 8.0 as they will when 8.10 releases halfway through the 10-year life cycle. And that's another thing to clarify with that is the two phases of the life cycle. The first five years of RHEL, RHEL's life cycle is what we call full support. And the last five years are maintenance support. The minor releases that we have, 8.1, 8.2, and so on, those all happen in the first five years. That's when the active development's taking place. That's when we're actively trying to add features, enable new hardware, you know, of course, always fixing serious bugs and security fixes. But as we move into that maintenance phase, the bar for what can be changed in RHEL gets higher and higher to the point where towards the end, it has to be a critical security fix for a fixed 
for anything to happen at all. Other than that, they wanted to stay the same. A lot of our customers will stay in that later half, not just customers, but CentOS 7 users. They're still using it and they intend to use it all the way up until 2023, 2024. And then that's when they're going to start looking at, do I want to switch to RHEL 8? Do I want to switch to something that's based on RHEL 8? Do I want to look at Stream 8 or even just skip all the way to 9? So there's those two life cycles and Stream will correspond to the full support phase where we're doing the active development The goal of CentOS is that we have contribution to the distribution. I mentioned before how RHEL was kind of developed behind closed doors before. And what we're trying to do with CentOS is rather than just have it be a bug for bug clone for RHEL and just if you find a bug, if the bug's also in RHEL, then you just have to take, take it at face value. You get what you get. The difference is now with CentOS Stream is we want people to be able to contribute changes and fixes to the distribution that show up in RHEL, you know, six to nine months later, depending on the timing. And the goal with that is that it's still staying very close to RHEL. It's still in line with the RHEL major version. And that's that's the stability that RHEL is really famous for, is that 10 years of the libraries being almost identical and getting backported security fixes. There are changes that also happen in RHEL with those minor releases, and sometimes those are a little bit more disruptive, but they still follow what we call the application compatibility guidelines which is the guidelines for how stable each individual component in RHEL is. CentOS Stream still honors that ACG for short. And we bungled the messaging around it completely from the beginning. We called it a rolling release distribution. Yeah, rolling. That's that's the word that I heard, which that's not accurate, is it? No. Um, all very well-intentioned because the idea was that from the RHEL perspective, it's rolling from one minor release to the next. So instead of having... you have eight, and then you get a few 8.2 features here and there, and then you get, as time goes on, you start getting 8.3 features, and it's just kind of a, uh, this is kind of the origin of the name, it's just a continuous stream of updates rather than getting them all batched up into a big minor release. In RHEL, most of the features would come at the minor release time every six months. In between, you would only get those critical security fixes And that's the stability a lot of people like. They like being able to plan, okay, well, I can just run yum update without thinking about it for six months. And then at this, you know, at the six month mark, I need to actually test this and make sure that upgrading to the next minor version works correctly. That's what stream changes. And it makes it where those updates that would come in a minor release could happen before that. It's still very stable for almost all the same use cases. There are some edge cases where If you're using software or have hardware that is specifically certified against a real minor version, we've seen some cases where people run into problems with those. Specifically, one of the big pain points we've had is the KMOD packages, which are, you know, third-party kernel modules that are built against the real kernel that there's what's called the kernel ABI, Application Binary Interface. And those kernel modules, they're built against that. And if they are built against only the module, the the modules in the kernel that RHEL guarantees stability for, they work from minor release to minor release with no change. Those type of modules work just fine on CentOS Stream because it's no different than the next minor release of RHEL can be. Or it, it can be no different than what the re- next minor release of RHEL is going to be. The ones that we have problems with are the ones that venture outside of that KABI stable list where they start depending on modules in the kernel that are not as stable, that do change more often, and... It's no different than what would happen in those third-party repositories 
they would need to rebuild those kernel modules at the next minor release. They just may have to rebuild them sooner in CentOS Stream. It's not a wholesale change. It's just the same rate of change you would see delivered on a different schedule. One thing that came up with the CentOS Stream thing was where does Fedora fit into this? People were saying, oh, Fedora is doomed. But that's not how I read it. I read it as Fedora is like the most cutting edge. Stream is in the middle. And then RHEL is the one that sits back and takes advantage of those two front runners, as it were. That's pretty accurate. I would say CentOS Stream sits a lot closer to RHEL than Fedora. But over the past year, the bootstrap activities we've done for Nine is we took Fedora 34 a subset of the packages in Fedora 34 and use those to start building CentOS Stream 9. And then from CentOS Stream 9, we're going to build RHEL 9 from that. So it sits a lot closer to RHEL, but it does still start with Fedora. One analogy that we've given, that we've used a few times is that Fedora is the upstream for RHEL major versions and CentOS Stream is the upstream for RHEL minor versions. Right. But Fedora is not in any danger. Then is the uh, the bottom line here that it it has a very specific purpose, and it's very important to RHEL as is CentOS Stream. That all three of them are important in their own different ways. Absolutely, and uh, that was something that uh, another thing I wish more people realized was that Fedora's always been in the critical path for RHEL development since its inception, and now CentOS is too. With CentOS coming after RHEL. There was never any incentive from the business to the business to, you know, stand up more resources, have more people working on it. You know, it was always kind of a we'll make sure this thing keeps going. We've got a few things that build off of it and want it, you know, and depend on it existing. But as far as like investing resources into it, it's not it wasn't ever going to happen in the old model. Now, both Fedora and CentOS are in the critical path for creating RHEL. And that protects them long term and ensures the res- we have the resources we need to actually make them good. Well, thanks a lot for coming and explaining all this stuff. I kind of knew some of it, but it's good to have it all clarified. So if people want to get hold of you, uh, what's the best place for them to find you? I hang out on Twitter a lot. I hang out in IRC. I'm on Matrix. Uh, same username everywhere, Carl W. George. Um, I try to be pretty present. I also try and pay attention to email lists in the projects, but that is uh, that's probably a weak weak point for me. I don't really like email that much. Yeah, fair enough. And you're also a regular on Linux Unplugged as well in the Mumble Room. Yes, uh, I try and show up to the uh, to the live shows there. And uh, occasionally I'll show up on the Sunday shows as well to hang out. But less often there, I'm usually doing things. Trying to, usually on the weekends, I'm trying to not turn on a computer. All right, well, I'll, I'll put links to that as well as uh, you've got a Twitter thread. Uh, I think it's pinned uh, explaining the relationships between uh, Stream and RHEL and Fedora. It's nicely graphically represented. So yeah, I'll link to that as well. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about that if we could include that in the show notes because describing these things verbally is always a challenge and I got tired of verbally explaining it without having a visual aid. So I just made one. Uh, I learned how to use the DIA program, which... I'm not a graphics designer, but it more or less worked. Yeah, well, it's you know, it's not the prettiest, but it shows clearly what you need to know, and that's uh, that's the important bit. I figured out how to draw lines, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dotted and uh, continuous. Yes. Right. Well, thanks for joining me, and uh, maybe speak to you again sometime. Hope so. Sounds like a plan. 